You're listening to Ask Nurse Alice, presented by Nurse.org, where Alice Benjamin combines no-nonsense advice with thought-provoking interviews. Hello, friends. Welcome to the Ask Nurse Alice podcast. I'm your host, Alice Benjamin, clinical nurse specialist and family nurse practitioner. And on today's show, I want to talk to you about how we communicate with our colleagues, especially when there's a difference of an opinion. So let me kick this off by sharing a story. As many of you know, I work in ICU ER and I do critical care transport. And on one particular occasion, I was going to pick up a patient from a step down area. For those of you who may not know, step down area is basically kind of a step down from ICU. It falls under the progressive care umbrella. So this is someone who is not quite sick enough to be in ICU. However, is sicker than the usual patient who is in the telemetry or telemed surge area. So they may allow certain cardiac drips or devices in this area that they may not allow on the med surge areas. Anyways, my team and I, we go to pick up a particular patient who's in a step down area, someone who is in their 60s, high blood pressure, diabetes, was someone who was found down at home, found to be in PEA, pulseless electrical activity. So for those of you who don't know, there was electrical cardiac activity on the ECG. However, no mechanical activity to coincide. So the heart was not pumping. So PEA followed the ACLS protocols. Patient was received CPR, intubated, transferred to the ICU, was there for a couple days, then came out into the step-down unit because the patient was unable to wean from their ventilator and therefore had to get a tracheostomy and is now still ventilated on the ventilator. So on a couple of drips, other things going on with the patient too. So anyways, I go to pick up this patient. I'm getting a report from the bedside nurse and I have to be honest, I was getting this report and I was kind of feeling like it was very superficial. I wasn't getting a lot of information from the nurse. And hindsight, what I later learned is that this nurse, I think it was about maybe 10 p.m., um, came in onto her shift at 7 p.m. and was told that, oh, patient's transferring. All you got to do is give nine o'clock meds, nothing much else to do. Patient's transferring. So this nurse didn't get a full report from the day shift didn't really do a full assessment on the patient or really dig in the patient's chart, kind of just was a band-aid till we arrived. And the reason why I can say that is because as my interaction with her unfolded, these are things that came to be evident. So I'm getting a report, but I'm not feeling like I'm really getting enough information from, from her. And so I'm probing, I'm asking questions and I could tell she's getting a little pissed with me. Like, why are you asking so many questions? Just take the patient and go. Listen, people, for those of y'all who have ever been like that to a transport nurse, I am picking up a patient and need to be just as fully as knowledgeable as you are about the patient because I am taking the patient out of the hospital setting into a moving vehicle, which is basically a kind of a standalone limited ICU ER until I get to the next location. And it's just me. Okay, I'm very experienced. I'm very knowledgeable. I have supplies. I have medications and things like that. But if something goes wrong and I'm unable to manage it, I have to divert to the closest ICU or ER and, you know, change the the plans for the patients. But needless to say, whenever you're giving handoff to anyone, you should give a full report. Why would you do otherwise? I'm getting a report from her really superficial. 
she wasn't giving me a solid report that I felt. And so I wanted to dig through the chart. And then I also needed to do my independent assessment. So while I was waiting for her to bring the chart, I did my assessment, quickly identified the patient had ice packs on and was hot to touch. We do our own independent full set of vital signs. Temperature is 101.9. Well, none of that was in the report that she gave me. Also, I'm doing my assessment and I'm palp. I'm listening to my heart and lung sounds, but I feel on the chest and I feel like I, I'm like, is this subcutaneous emphysema? Like I was feeling a snap, crackle, pop on the chest when I pull. It feels like bubble tape. That, and so I asked her about those things, and she said, "Oh well, I didn't know about this part." Referring to the bubble tape, she said, "I just got this patient. The patient's transferring, so I just did a really brief assessment." Well, I, did you even listen to the heart and lungs? Because if you listened to the heart and lungs, you would have felt that, and you would have saw that. That's one. And then two. Why did you leave out the ice packs? I said, the temperature is 101.9. She says, oh yeah, the nurse gave Tylenol at 6 p.m. The temperature was 101 rectally. I said, oh, okay. I said, did the physician know? Probably. Okay, well, probably isn't good enough for me. And so I had to, because I saw the style of her report and her mannerisms and the level of effort she was giving into this, I had to, compose myself and reframe how I speak with her. So I did it in a very constructive manner. I said, ma'am, I said, I'm transporting this patient. And although I'm fine transporting a patient with a temperature, I'm, I'm very comfortable with dealing with septic patients. And she kind of raised her eyebrows like septic. I didn't say the patient was septic. Hmm. Well, I said, you know, I'm fine transferring septic patients. I don't know for sure what's going on with this patient. So what I would like for you to share with me is, is the physician aware that the patient spiked a temperature of 101? Um, because sometimes these come in standardized orders to prevent, you know, kind of unnecessary calling in the middle of the night type of thing. But I need to know that the physician is aware. And I also need to know that the receiving physician and facility are aware and still okay to receive this patient. Because if you said the nurse gave Tylenol at six and it's 101, and you've also put ice packs, we're four hours later and the temperature's even higher. So it really would warrant for more Tylenol and other interventions. And just curious, did they not want to do any blood cultures or figure out what's going on? And so she gets frustrated with me like, well, the doctor must already know. Well, unfortunately, I'm unable to take this patient unless you can confirm with me that the physician is aware of these things or a phone call. You need to call the physician. So while she's puffing and puffing and getting finding the physician number, I'm quickly looking through the chart. Last checks x-ray was two days ago. White blood cell count had been trending in the upward directions and was 20 uh, earlier that day. The previous day was 14. And I was just thinking, okay, a lot of things could be going on with this patient, right? Uh, so many different things. I just need confirmation, right? I need confirmation and at the minimum some Tylenol, right? To take, to move this patient. So I'm open, but she's a little frustrated with me, but I explained to her that those are the policies and protocols and also for patient safety. And I, and I threw in there, I said, you know, and if this were, if this were my mother, these were the things that I would want to make sure are done to ensure that this is a safe transfer and that everybody's on the same page because heaven forbid, I take this patient and they become septic and crash in route or at the facility where they know nothing about the patient. You guys are the most knowledgeable about the patient. So in actuality, if this is indeed a change of condition that happened today, it warrants investigation and the safest place for this patient is here until, you know, all of the team members are on board with everything that's going on. And we've done some other tests and diagnostics. So she kind of looked at me like, who are you type of thing? And I, 
I just disregarded that. But anyway, she called the provider. The provider was hesitant, said, you know, maybe we should keep the patient another day. But then the nurse said, oh, but everyone else has signed off. So he's like, okay, well, fine, transfer. And so she looked at me and said, physician said, go ahead and transfer. I said, I understand that. However, does the receiving facility, is the receiving provider also aware of that? I need to know that. She got mad, huffy and puffy with me again. I said, well, ma'am, I said, I need you to understand that if I take this patient and the receiving facility does not think the want the patient or is willing to accept, I have to turn around and come back here. And the patient's going to lose their bed, has to go to the ER, and we have to start this whole process all over again. So let's save everybody, you know, some time and some resources and just take a couple minutes to make the phone call. Thank you. Right? I said, please and thank you the entire time with a smile on my face. Although deep in my head, I'm just like, lady, aren't you a critical care nurse? Why is this not registering with you? All of these potential risks for the patient to be septic and patient is talking, although it's not verbal, it's talking to us through other signs. WBC is elevated. Temperature is up. Temperature not going down with, you know, it's resistant to Tylenol. What is happening? And then the subcutaneous emphysema, like, what is that about? Right? So she calls the receiving facility on the phone for hours. So I'm just what we call this holding the wall while we're waiting holding the wall waiting to see what's going to happen long story short the receiving physician says nope we're not taking that patient okay so she gets mad she tells chargers tells the chargers they're not taking the patient now because he has a temperature the seat the nurse wanted me to call and now they're not taking the patient listen i don't know why she threw my name in the mix because i'm not the reason why the patient has a temperature i am merely being a patient advocate okay so she has to call the discharging physician and say hey receiving facility is not taking the patient and then she gets a whole list of orders a list of chest x-ray blood cultures labs and some antibiotics to go ahead and get started now would you look at that all of that and you just wanted me to pick the patient up and transfer just go you wanted me to be a task oriented individual and just take your word for it so that's not how this works here as a licensed nurse advanced practice nurse it is my duty to assess the patient assess the labs and diagnostics to come up to with a clinical decision and and based on that clinical decision i felt it was unsafe to transfer the patient i felt that but i didn't necessarily i you know i'm not writing orders for this nurse right i'm i don't have authorities at this facility to write orders for this nurse to say cancel discharge or anything like that but i present the information in a way that i've wasn't condescending trying to be constructive trying to let her know what my concerns were so hopefully she would get it and come around but it seemed like she didn't get it she was so resistant and just basically wanted to wash her hands of the patient I was frustrated by that it actually made me sad it made me sad because you guys do not understand how many times I see this and listen I will go up against and I hate to say against because we should be a team but I will go up against a charge nurse a house soup, a physician, whoever you are, if I feel like something is unsafe for the patient. And if I feel like my what's happening to the patient is unsafe, I am not going to participate in it. I'm not. You can get another crew to transport this patient. I'm not doing it if that were the case. And I've had discussions on different occasions with physicians, patients going from ICU, one facility transferring to a, a tele unit to I'm sorry, tele nurses are not going to take a patient whose pressure is labile going into, you know, systolic 88s and you guys have been given boluses of fluids here. You know, why transfer that patient to an area 
where the nurse that's without outside of the skill set and the protocols and the medication management of a nurse let's get the patient to the the correct unit okay let's get them to the correct level of care so in that situation i just described i asked the same thing can you call the doctor doctor said transfer the patient i said can you call the receiving doctor and receiving doctor's like no we're not taking the patient but if they want to transfer the patient to icu we can transfer to icu that's fine so in that other situation i explained yeah the nurse the patient can still go but pump your brakes I'm not taking the patient right now because there's not an ICU bed available. So once there's an ICU bed available, I'll come back and I'll transport the patient. But right now there's nothing for me to do with the patient. So sometimes I can get the evil eye because I'm being a patient advocate. Sometimes I give myself more work to do. It takes more time, takes more steps. And I understand that can be frustrating. I would love for nursing to be easy, but it's not. Taking care of patients' lives is a great responsibility. And with that responsibility comes a great amount of work that we need to do, right? And people trust us, patients trust us to do the right thing, to be patient advocates. And that's what we should always be, regardless of the nurse who's going to give us the side eye, regardless of the fact that, oh, shoot, now I can't go on break. I have to push off my lunch break for another 30 minutes or if I can't find coverage type of thing. You know, we are here to really do what's in the best interest of the patient, not always what's most comfortable for us. Now, when those things can coincide, hey, right? We love that. But when they don't, they just don't. And that's just what comes with the job. That's what you sign up for. And if you don't want that type of job, go work in a different area. So back to this situation with this nurse. So she's frustrated with me because I've raised these concerns and now she's changed the course of the treatment. Now, this, is, this might push a little bit, but a few buttons, but if medical errors were allowed to be a, le- a cause of death in our national registry, it would be the third leading cause of death. Now, while this did not cause patient death or cause direct harm to the patient, it could have potentially caused harm for the patient. So we call this a near miss. Now, near misses are a variation of a medical error. So what do you do with situations like this? We don't talk enough about near misses. And so this is something, had I not been truly an advocate and just really holding my ground, the patient, I could have just easily taken the patient transferred and then it could have potentially been harmful for the patient, but I did what's right. So where do we go to talk about near misses? Matter of fact, where do we really talk about medical errors? We don't talk about a lot of medical errors unless you're in that specific group that was directly involved and you might be involved in a root cause analysis at your hospital. But even when there's a root cause analysis, those lessons often aren't shared with the rest of the hospital and they're definitely not shared across the nation most of the time because no one wants to talk about potential errors, actual errors or mistakes that happen in their institution. Every hospital wants to be perfect and we know that is not true. Everyone listening to this right now can probably think of two, three, five, ten medical errors or possible medical errors that happened in this last month that they've worked. And so I bring this up because I think it's important that we talk about near misses and that we really start to reframe some of how we think or our colleagues are thinking about not just doing what's easiest, but what's best for the patient. And so in this particular example, nurse got upset. You know, I think she rolled her eyes at me a couple of times, but I did what's right now. Why is it that doing what's right can make me feel uncomfortable? So it makes you not, it makes you want to just fold and just go with the, you know, go the easy way, but that's not what we should be doing. So we should stop making 
doing the right thing feel like an uncomfortable thing. I think one of the things that's most important in this experience is that we learn how to communicate. You'll notice that I didn't, I didn't yell. I didn't talk nasty to her. I didn't roll my eyes at her. I was very constructive. I tried to stay positive. I tried to lead the horse to water y'all and make it a, you know, a learning opportunity as much as possible. And even sometimes that works. And sometimes it's still like, (sighs) like the person's not listening. Right. But, and when it gets to that point, then I have to buckle down and be more direct. And sometimes that's not, I'm being mean, but I'm just being very direct and that can be misinterpreted as mean, but I'm not being mean if I'm advocating for the patient and I've already exhausted all of these other measures. But where does it go beyond that? Where does it go beyond this particular experience between me and this nurse? Because I don't work for that facility. So I'm not going to go and do a, a variance report or a QR report or things like that. But you know, what do I do? Do I talk to the charge nurse about my encounter with this particular nurse? Do I raise the lip to the manager? Like, what is the process so we can start to extinguish behaviors and patterns like this and get everybody on the same accord to start being better critical thinkers and work more closely and collaboratively on behalf of the patient's best interest? So it's something that I struggle with, especially when I I work in different hospitals. I see different nurses and people and doctors all the time. But one thing I will say is I'm consistent. I treat everyone with kindness, respect, and I try to make everything a constructive learning experience whenever there is some type of difference of opinions. And when I really feel like something is not in the best interest of the patient, then I hold my ground. But can everybody do that? Some people, if you're newer to the hospital, let's say you're a new grad or you're new to the unit and you're like, I just want to fit in, you may fold. You may do what is being asked of you or told to you to do because that's how we do it here. And you deep down, you might struggle or have some conflict with that not being the right thing. So me sharing this story was really, for one, I needed to vent. Thank you for listening. And then for two, letting people know that if you're listening to this and you've had anything similar, remotely similar happen, know that you're not alone. Know that you were doing the right thing. Know that you should not feel bad for doing the right thing and to continue to make the best decision for your patients, even if it takes a little more time, even if it's a little more resource intensive, even if there are a couple more steps, do what's in the best interest of the patient. We should not be afraid to communicate with providers during the middle of the night. We should not be scared of asking for the things that our patients need. And we should not be afraid to express our concerns because Because I have a concern doesn't mean that I feel like the doctor was bad or the nurses previously were bad. You know, perhaps they made the best decision they could with the information they had at the time and something's changed. It doesn't matter. We are all here for the patient. We need to be open and honest and be willing to do whatever the patient needs. And so that's a story that I just wanted to share. I hope that if you're someone who's experienced this, that you continue to do the right thing, even when others aren't watching. Please don't feel conflicted or fold into a practice that skips steps, cuts corners, or is down and out just lazy. Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't be that nurse. Don't be that doctor, RT, MA. And even in your own respective profession, maybe you're not even in healthcare, but you're in banking, finance, business, entertainment, you know, There are standards, there are expectations and outcomes that we all desire. Let's all work towards them and stop giving our colleagues a challenging time when they're trying to do what's in the best interest to meet the goals 
of the patient, the client, the end user, whoever that person or thing or business may be. So guys, I hope this was helpful to you. Please stay tuned. Keep listening to the podcast. Subscribe, like, and share. I'm Nurse Alice. And, you know, I love talking to you guys about these things. If you guys have any questions, comments, please don't hesitate to reach out to me on social media at Ask Nurse Alice. I have a website, AskNurseAlice.com. Let's continue this conversation. Let's continue to empower people, tell our stories, and be better people. So until next time, make good choices, be kind to one another, and live well, my friends. Take care. Thanks for listening to Ask Nurse Alice. Visit nurse.org for nursing career, education, and community resources.